This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of the Upper West Side, New York City, and uh, shocker, Rog, spoiler alert, from the crap part of the Hamptons, New York, it's the Men in Blazers podcast. Oh, we back! Like Michael Jordan's goat reputation, it is so good to hear your voice. It's like it's like a sunray breaking through the clouds, a rainbow, a unicorn. When I hear the Devo tones, I get the, the giddy kind of thrill I only do when I see Christian Pulisic's made the bench in a Premier League game. <laughs> How are you? Never happens. How it doesn't <laughs> happen very often, Rod. <laughs> How are you holding up? In the in on the mean streets of the Hamptons, Dave. Yeah, flew back, Rog. Flew back. Um, you might say non-essential travel before you say that. My kids have been here um, the whole time, so hadn't seen my kids in over a month, uh, and came back to see them. I'm in quarantine, so socially distanced from them, just hanging out in the garden with the dogs uh, for another nine days. But it's been amazing to come back and see them. The weather is not that Los Angelesy up here in the northeast i must say the winds are howling i've got a fire crackling in the background rog um but it's beautiful to be back here the northeast when you said that i immediately thought of sunderland till i die you are in <laughs> you are in probably as asymmetrically opposite a northeast than the can be to that one Basically, day any one of my neighbors could buy sunderland here rog and they'd lose all their money change it change yeah. it <laughs> yeah just imagine charlie methman cruising around your hood Oh, New York life, I say, remains slightly surreal. The novelty, yeah, I mean, I use that word of lockdown life as long burnt off. We are in this for the long haul, people. The external world that we craved is clearly close to us here for some time. And I'd say now more than ever, our inner life, that, that internal one which dictates our emotions in the most basic ways is the one that we're kind of in tune with really trying to mine lockdown life for fleeting moments of joy, micro minutes of purpose. That's got to be our focus now. And I wrote in this morning's newsletter about how the real trick is to start each day, not with just a long list of what you need to do, because we all have that, but the mindset that you want to bring to it. I think that is like genuinely for me, the trick right now, the intention of how, you know, with courage, with creativity, empathy, and a side of love I am trying so hard to courage right now, David. Oh, my to-do lists have gone next level. Um, I handle one on my phone in my notes program and also in a beautiful leather-bound book. I've got a system of, of pencil and pen and digital. Have you gone quilt? Yeah, occasionally. Um, but I'm not doing anything on my to-do list uh, other than the sort of essential work stuff. I'm not getting any of my things. I've been trying to rearrange my toolbox for ages. I've got a toolkit out here and it just is, it's in a frightful state, Rog. But I've, I've been going to the hardware store, but I'm, I'm not really directed enough on putting my toolbox back together. But got to get on that. I love that notion of having an incredibly long to-do list and never getting past step one, which is write out to-do list it's like my, my dad for years had a book which he carried around with him called how to read faster and he never got like past page 120 on it but the whole life right now oh, it reminds me of that 80s wisdom that i didn't really even appreciate enough at the time we don't have to take our clothes off to have a good time words to live by i will say i don't agree with those words 
at all, by the way. And that's why I can see your nipples on this Zoom. But yeah. I will say, something that gave me incredible strength this week was doing Friday's happy hour Zoom call with all the essential worker GFOPs. We had over 100 doctors, nurses, medical staff, store workers, delivery operatives and the like. I mean, to raise a bud and toast them with a Jägermeister, just true heroes, each one, their tenacity, their strength, their wonder, the opportunity to talk football. Yeah, but also to talk about what they're doing and how it has rocked their world. It was truly humbling, truly inspiring and made me think of this, David. We're going to do it again, by the way, this Friday with teachers, teachers who are GFOPs. I salute you, how you have had to reinvent your skills, reinvent yourself, step in in a moment of darkness. They're a bit like Bruno Fernandes arriving at Manchester United, turning up, needing completely new skills, new situ, but immediately setting their minds to it and excelling. But it made me think, David, we should make a Men in Blazers face mask for charity with like the word courage across the front. Not in the face would be another good one. But then I realised a Men in Blazers face mask, a true Men in Blazers face mask, it would probably have a large hole cut out in the front to help the air circulate. (laughs) It would be bald. Yes. I feel a new contest coming on. Oh, wow. What a segue, Rog. Yes, we are launching a contest with the GFOPs at Jägermeister right here, right now. America's next top Vardy, Rog. It's a catchy (laughs) title. With the Premier League having suspended play, we are casting a movie version of the entire league, the world's greatest telenovela. And we want you, GFOP, and your friends to star in it. Okay, we're not actually shooting a film, but we are looking for people in America who (sighs) resemble a Premier League character. Remember I met that guy and he never really watched Premier League soccer, but everywhere he went, people told him he looked like Harry Maguire. We want slabheads. We want our American slabheads. Uh, we want our American Vardis. We want our American Samir Nasris. Whatever you are, we want, uh, we want all of you. Okay, we're not actually going to shoot the film, Rog. We just want to make that very clear, but we might do when it's all said and done. Do you have a forehead as big as Harry Maguire? Do you run with your bum out and your arms doing that funny thing like Raz? Do you dab like Paul Pogba? Do you dap like Sun? Are you bored like Mike Dean or us? We want to see it. Send us the perfect shot, picture or video showing off your figurative or literal resemblance via social media using the hashtag, hashtag PL lookalike or email meninblazers at gmail.com on Sunday, May 17th. We're going to pick our favourites, create a movie poster for the film that we will not be making. Maybe. Those selected will receive one of the very limited edition Living the Nightmare mugs you use on the Men and Blazers TV show. One grand prize winner will also win a pair of Jägermeister Stag High limited edition sneakers. Mate, uh, can stag I just say, high. yeah, they are stag high, mate. I've Does got that a mean they're of, as high as a stag? I wish. They're as high as your ankles, mate. They are beautiful. I actually, a miniature stag. I own a pair of those Jägermeister custom sneakers. I've got them on right now. And I'll just say, they are the most stunning non-clock shoes that I own. But I love this contest. I cannot wait to see if anyone's mate, or even anyone, if anyone or anyone's mate, are you listening, anyone? If you look like Jordan Pickford, but you have slightly longer arms. Or you look like Rich Arlison with his old haircut or his new haircut. But actually, now all the Premier League players are going bald. Half of them do look like me, so I could win this contest. But I love this. We are looking for perfect photographs like Jägermeister, the perfect shot. Send them in. 
just thrill me with your stupidity and your wonder on this one. Just just inundate us and thrill us. We really need we need the jewelry right now. So much content, Roger. Tomorrow you're going to be joined by an old school GFOP, one of the very first guests ever on the Men in Blazers TV show, former Major League pitcher and co-owner of USL's Phoenix Rising. That's Brandon McCarthy, of course. You're also hosting our now weekly Wednesday Budweiser Happy Hour on Instagram Live with World Cup champion from the North Carolina Courage, Jessica McDonald. That's at 5 p.m. Eastern Time Wednesday and Friday. We're back with another GFOP Zoom Happy Hour. This one is for teachers, any and all teachers interested in joining Rog at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time Friday to raise a glass. Subscribe to our Raven newsletter on meninblazers.com. All sign-up information will be sent out through that. Okay, Rog, I'm tired from just reading that whole paragraph, can we have a toast? Oh, mate, I want to raise my first third bud of the day to the memory of Norman Hunter. Oh, oh. the legendary Leeds United defender who died of coronavirus this week at the age of 76. A true heel, really an enforcer, the Bill Lambeer of football. He was known by his fondly bestowed pet name, Bite Your Legs. And this was back when Liverpool had Tommy Anfield, Iron Smith, Chelsea had Ron Chopper Harris. You know, each big team had a player who thrived in the mud, just destroying anyone in their vicinity, like loggers chopping down redwoods. As a kid, I used to have genuine nightmares on a regular basis about Norman Hunter. He was that big a bogeyman. But he actually played with a mix of skill and steel. Skill which delivered two league titles to Mighty Leeds United. His manager, Don Reavy, used to send him on with the instructions, Norman, you win the ball and you give it to those around you who can play. (laughs) He did. He kept things so simple. Even as a broadcaster, which he became upon retirement, he was asked, what do you think is going to happen in this game? And he said, see that round white thing? You've got to get it in that big netty thing, which was really just a symbol of how he saw the inherent simplicity of the game that had come to him so easy. I love the story of how Reevy worked out how to build up his muscles. He was skinny as a kid by feeding him a daily ration of raw egg and sherry to speed up his development. If I'd had that, Davo, maybe I'd made the big dance, but it worked for him. And beyond the physicality, was a fiercely competitive mindset, which was captured by this last story, told by one of his teammates, the former Spurs midfielder Alan Mullery, who said, We used to go on cruise ships for vacation. I remember we were on a trip, we were on our holidays, we were playing the crew, I was a referee, and he hit this fella in a 50-50 challenge. And the fella did three somersaults, landed on his backside. And I said, Norman, these passengers you're playing with, they paid a lot of money to come on this cruise. And Norman said, we've still got to win, Alan. We can't let them win. I raised my Bud fan blood fam to the legends. Peter Bonetti last week. Norman Hunter bite your legs in his memory this week. May their lives, may their careers, may their stories never be forgotten. Courage. Roger, remember the 1970 uh, FA Cup final between Chelsea and Leeds? It was a classic. It went to a replay. Uh, Chelsea won it. But it was arguably... Even in in, a, in an era of, of uh, English top flight football that was full blooded, as you said earlier, this was really um, really took the biscuit. They recently re-showed this game to Michael Oliver, and yes. he re-refereed it, and he said that he would have given out eleven red cards <laughs> during the game. Then one particular <laughs> scene, which I'd forgotten, which I literally watched again and again, just laughing yes. my eyes off. Um, Hunter and uh, Ian Hutchinson 
started having a full-on fist fight on the pitch, for which for which neither of them was even booked. Yeah, um, yeah. and the commentary too much. commentary is just like men being men on with the game. It was an amazing <laughs> thing to watch, and it is. Yeah. I think it was eleven red cards before halftime. Michael Oliver said it was like twenty-seven yellow cards in eleven red cards. His eyes popped out of his head. While he was watching that, what you could get away with, you could do open knee surgery on the field on your opponents and they just wave play on. Those were the days. Yeah, worth a watch. Peter Benetti, also, who we spoke about on last week's podcast, who, who passed you know, about 10 days ago, and Norman Hunter involved in that game. What a classic, Roger. Very, very sad loss. OK, Rog, it feels like we haven't had any real football since Norman Hunter and Peter Benetti were actually playing, but you've been following it closely. When... Could we see actual football return? Footballing pandemic indecision 2020 continues, I'm afraid, Dave. Football authorities keep meeting, keep affirming their desire to complete the season in its totality. 92 games to play, commercial imperatives, baby. But they also keep leaving the details vague, as they have to, because, you know, they're in control of this reality in the same way that really I'm in control of my hair growth. I'm actually starting to believe, and you'll understand this better than I do, because you know about narrative and entertainment. I think they're starting to vacillate on purpose, Dave, the world footballing authorities. It's a conscious decision to give us something to watch to fill the vacuum and no football, because the latest non-news is that the Premier League teams, they're talking about a 40-day end to the season, just an incredible crush of games, nosebleed pace. They also keep talking about trying to squeeze that in before contract-inspired Armageddon date of June the 30th, which is the date when all the free agents are released. I believe they'll be debating that possibility right up until midnight on June the 29th. UEFA also doing their thing, blathering about how they plan to jam all 17 of the remaining Champions League fixtures into just over three weeks in August with Man City and Real Madrid restarting the competition. We all know how this is going to end, with the big clubs meeting at a designated time and a selected place to play a single round of elimination twister. Winner will get the trophy. There will be no asterisk. It's all a bit mad, Dave. And when you think about the underpinning, the English journalist Matt Slater... He really captures the frenzy of the decision-making right now. It's all to do with the Premier League team's finances, their cash flow, their liquidity, or rather the lack of it. And he writes, Famed investor Warren Buffett once said, It was only when the tide goes out that you learn who's been swimming naked. And the gravity of the coronavirus pandemic has dragged football's tide way out beyond the pier, forcing lots of embarrassed bathers to scurry back to their beach huts. What do you make of it all? Well, number one, not going to take a lecture from the press who themselves are running ads on their own newspaper websites looking for donations so that they can keep, you know, the fifth estate alive. Support the Guardian. Yes, but it's it's like this ridiculous. It's not like journalists could be running this any better. What were football clubs went to have $100 million cash reserves to go and take them through this crisis? I don't think anybody is going to go and have that. Look. I've said it before, the football, all sport, has run on a calendar that's been perfected over, in many cases, more than 100 years. And football is chaos. And the only thing that held it together was a predictable calendar. That predictable calendar is gone, and football is even more chaotic than ever. You also have problems, is that just up and down the Premier League, you have several teams who do not want to play any more games because the loss of TV money is not as severe as the potential threat of relegation. So you've got at least four or five clubs hovering, you know, just above the relegation zone who don't want to play anymore. They absolutely don't want to play anymore. 
you've got other clubs who are desperate to play and you've got some teams in the middle of the table who probably don't care that much, really, when it comes down to it. And then you've got the issue of domestic football, cup football, you know, TV contracts offered to different people, European football, international football is completely out of the window. We're not even thinking about that. That's all being postponed by a year. I know I'm just crying over the lack of Nations League football, Roger. It, it, it kills me. I didn't realise the um, size of the hole in, that I made in my affections, Dave, until we lost it. Joni Mitchell was talking about the Nations League when she said, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. You know, I've been speaking to a couple of my mates who are involved in the ownership of football clubs. Charlie Methven. Well, <laughs> around Europe. It's an impossible situation. And, you know, this is what the way that football is structured is not really built to to handle so i don't know and even single entity leagues you know even you know major league soccer is going to have a huge amount of trouble figuring out how to restart again it doesn't feel in theory that the idea of taking what is it four or five neutral grounds you know maybe wembley maybe st george's park maybe twickenham maybe a couple of grounds like you know by the way the stadium of light which isn't a premier league ground anymore and playing games in those stadiums and trying to secure them three games a day spaced out so that players and officials aren't and tv crews aren't intersecting with each other that takes an enormous amount of planning and i don't quite know who is going to be at the helm of all that planning they need to do all the games on ufc's fight island but the big news this week oh at the very same time as oil prices tumble to negative 37 dollars i bought a lot of it rog i've made a fortune i've stored a couple of gallons in in the panic room mate but newcastle it's all their fault they announced they're going to be taken over by a saudi arabian ownership group and what Saudi Arabian ownership group? Well, it's only led by Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. A reported $374 million deal currently being due diligence, I'm sure, with, with real minute detail by the Premier League's Fit and Proper Committee. Guardian journalist Barney Ronay compared Newcastle's dreadful old owner, Mike Ashley, to their prospective new Saudi bosses. He did it beautifully. He said, Mike Ashley, pig-headed retail magnate. Saudi Arabia, blood-stained inherited dictatorship. Mike Ashley, zero-hour contract in his sports shop. Saudi Arabia, beheaded 37 men in a single day. Mike Ashley, showed disrespect to Rafa Benitez. Saudi Arabia, murdered and dismembered Jamal Khashoggi. Dave, a Toon fan so desperate to see the back of the 13-year reckless tenure of Mike Ashley that they're excited to cheer for a regime that, you know, Assassinates journalists. Yes, absolutely. Toon fans seem to be delighted about this. You know, they've always said they're a big club. Why shouldn't they have a despotic billionaire uh, group of dictators owning them? That's what all the proper um, big clubs have got, right? Yeah, it is. And, you know, this ownership group seem to have um, big ambition for the Toon and that famous black and white stripe and that brand which got besmirched by the goal series of movies. It's a, I could see it working, but I don't think Toon fans are going to mourn the uh, exit of Mike Ashley. And I think they, they're all willing. You see lots of articles right now of like, we're all willing to give the new ownership a chance. Just give them a chance. I mean, you look at it from a Newcastle fan perspective. They are the most long-suffering, incredibly still passionate fan base who have been exploited isn't even the word violated almost for 30 years by terrible owner 
after Terrible Una. They're up in the northeast of England. I mean, it's Sunderland till I die territory. If you, Newcastle fans will not like me saying that, but it's up there. The two cities kind of run into each other. It's a, it's an, it, Newcastle is a beautiful city, but it's in a region where industry has long fled and the soul of the football club lives on in the memories it's provided for generations of decent, honest, working-class families. Those families who've had to watch Mike Ashley a man who's made millions by exploiting workers like them, just completely crap on the one thing they adore, the one thing that could still bring them pride and pleasure. Having said that, from a human rights perspective, as terrible as Mike Ashley's been, getting rid of him is, to me, just call me stupid. It's not enough of a reason that we should embrace the Saudi darkness. They, they are, I won't be clear, they do have big plans for Newcastle, but they're not doing those plans because they are long-time lovers of football, any more than when Abu Dhabi bought Manchester City. You know, both groups, and this is true for Qatar with the World Cup, are using football to do what's called sports washing, really to whitewash their image through sports. It's not just a football problem. You know, boxing, WWE and Formula One, they've all followed the money, but this one does feel different. It, it does feel like it is next level having said that the takeover is going to go through it sounds unbelievable but the premier league's fit and proper test it does not clear that ordering a journalist to be murdered in horrific circumstances falls foul of that but football is the home of athletic wonder it's also the home of cognitive dissonance where fans are able to separate the emotional experience of watching elite collectives master the ball from the rational thought process of ugly geopolitics and once that game returns the emotional wonder is going to overwhelm all the ethical analysis, all the gobsmacking ugliness of what's about to occur, and it will be full on away the lads. Certainly dark. Okay, but let's hit the switch. Let's turn the positivity back up to 11 with some GFOP questions from your amazing WGFOP, the bald podcast hotline. Call them in at 646-450-9472. That's 646-450-9472. Question the first. Hey, Raj. It's uh, Lou from Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm a Chelsea supporter, originally from New York City. My question to you, as someone who, who did not get into football until I was about 27 years old, is there a sport that you didn't get into until you were a little up in the years? Or if there was a sport that you had to fall back on the most other than uh, football, what would it be? Thanks, Raj. Have a good one. This is a timely question, Lou from Charlotte. Oh, I taught yesterday how this weekend was somehow harder than any to miss sports in general, soccer in particular. I just identified deep inside me an enormous empty chasm of unfulfillment, like a set of muscles I couldn't access or stimulate without live sports. And I just know they're now condemned to atrophy with a low-grade moaning that I'll never be able to silence, like a nasty case of indigestion. Is there a sport, Dave, that you've only gained an appreciation of in recent years? Well, I mean, certainly, you know, the major American sports, you know, the NBA, the NHL, the NFL, I was only um, exposed to those when I came to America, sort of from the age of 17. So all of those. But, you know, more recently... um, professional darts and by the way hats off to gfop more than a gfop is one of our heroes or barry hearn he's got the pdc up and running with they're doing the at-home masters where 
professional darts players are throwing darts at home in their kitchens <laughs> in their kitchens and playing the game and competing against each other with the honor they're they're basically having to to uh, make sure they're standing the right distance away on the hockey and uh, call their scores in one of the uh, world champion by the way was um disqualified because his wi-fi wasn't strong enough <laughs> Which I it's love that amazing. story today. And they keep, it's so they keep good. sneaking cigarettes. They think they're off camera oh, and they cut back. It's and these so good. players are just like... It's so good. Just absolutely Why can't we do at home? Why can't one? we do at home football? That would be so good. That'd be genuinely amazing. Watching footballers just vaping, thinking they're not on camera. would be amazing, mate. But can I tell you my new one, Rog? Which Please, has just been you? in the last, I would say, 10 days I've discovered this. Oh. Is the huge growing sport... Um, not so much in America yet, but it's starting to come, of touch tennis, which is tennis played on a smaller court. It's like ping pong meets tennis, Rog. I know there's platform tennis and paddle tennis. It's sort of like that, but for some reason it's better because it's, it's played with sort of something more like a real racket with a foam ball. It's played on a 12-meter by 5-meter court for singles, 12 meters by 6 meters, and just watch highlights on YouTube of touch tennis. Rog, I feel like this is your sport. I feel like, because I know you're a good ping pong player, I think this could be the sport where you and I can go right up against each other. Touch tennis. I've always wondered if there is, like, I am naturally a world-class talent at a sport. I just haven't, like, had the scout from that sport identify me yet. That a badly postured, five foot, ten and a half, kind of fairly lazy Pilates uh, adherent is actually unbelievably genetically predisposed to win this sport maybe like i always thought maybe like ferreting or something or sending humans down a hole to find truffles something like that david i thought would be really good at but you, you think i'd be the greatest touch tennis player of all time take a look tell me what you think but i think you'd be quite good at touch tennis right? oh, my sport in later life has actually been a sport of rediscovery because when i moved to america i did fall in love with all american sports so hard so fast mostly because there was no English football on television, but also to watch American sport with fresh eyes, just the marketing, the broadcast pizzazz, the Blazers, the Premier League didn't have any of that crap then. And I fell in love with like the Luke Longley era Chicago Bulls, the Ole Kolzig Washington Capitals, the Aussie gay and Joey Cora Chicago White Elks, always the Bears, always the Bears. But when football, soccer, took up more and more of my life, it just devoured my bandwidth hollowed it out for those american sports and there were about five years when i just watched football 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 premier league la liga bundesliga syria champions league league and women's football nwsl but the last four years for so many different reasons have been about creating room for american sport to flow back into my life nfl nba nhl to begin with then baseball and wmba in like a second wave and I've savoured its wonder. All the more, especially now, the sports are cross-pollinating more than they ever have before. You know, NBA stars adoring the Premier League, Premier League stars revering the NFL. And that crossover of human experience and leadership and elite performance, that's where I'm most interested in living right now. Taking Men in Blazers, you know, the Steve Kerr interview in which he can effortlessly move from Michael Jordan insights to Jurgen Klopp talking about Mo Salah and then back again. That's where my heart and mind dwell. Or next week's release of a film we made with NHL star Victor Hedman. 
who wanted to discuss the art of defending on the ice and just casually worked in Virgil van Dijk. That's the sports world that I live for, Davo. And I think right now, the one that I miss most. I got to tell you, watching The Last Dance uh, right now on ESPN, that amazing 30 for 30 series, you know, I fell in love with the NBA when I moved here in 1989. Uh, unfortunately, it was a offshoot of the NBA called the Orlando Magic. Uh, but I, uh, my God, watching that documentary just reminded me of how much I just, you know, loved basketball. And I'm going to go as soon as that comes back. I'm going to go and rediscover my love. I've been watching the old NBA Finals. Watched, you know, Kobe destroy in the NBA Finals from a few years ago. I've been watching old golf tournaments, Rog. Weirdly, old golf tournaments are just as good now as they were then. So I've been kind of enjoying watching that. Some fashions never go out of style. I will say about the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance, or The Last Dance, as it's Last subtitled Dance. in America. The Last Dance! You know, I, I arrived in Chicago, and within two or three days, normal programming was broken into by news headlines that Michael Jordan had retired for the first time. And I was actually wrapped with guilt. I thought it was me, like I'd come to see this man who had actually had a poster on my bedroom wall in Liverpool. He was above my bed for seven years. I'd had that one of his tongue out dunking. Um, So he retired almost as soon as I got there. And I fell in love that season watching like the tenacious Luke Longley, always my favourite player because he just seemed like an everyman who just like, oh my Lord, happened to win back to back to back titles. And I was fascinated by that human being. Steve Kerr, also similarly tenacious. Tony Kukoc, above all, obviously Scotty Pippen, just a man who was next level in his own right. And we're going to re-release this weekend. The joy of last year was the Steve Kerr interview. There's no doubt about that. It was that good, humanly that good. But in 2015, J-Dubs reminded me that we tracked down, and it took me about seven months of detective work, we tracked down Luke Longley to Western Australia. And on Thursday, we're going to re-release both of those pods side by side. They are absolutely gorgeous. And I cannot wait for next Sunday for the last dance to return to our lives. But listen to that Luke Longley pod. Re-listen to that Steve Kerr pod. Give you a slightly different POV on Michael Jordan within that had geography. Next batter up. Hi, Raj. This is David Burke from Moore Park, California. I support LA Galaxy, Manchester United, and our U.S. national teams. My question is this. A few years ago, you and Davo covered the running of the bulls in Pamplona. I will never forget the look of WKRP-level turkey drop realization on your faces from the first day when you had to wrap up the broadcast. My question is, what are your memories of that experience? Courage. Turkey drop, classic television name check, David Burke. Davo, what do you remember most about Spain? I remember not being able to sleep because of the uh, the concert going on all night just outside our hotel room. I remember that. I mean, we looked quite good in our white shorts and our little white outfits. I thought you. Were, I think you wore long pants, Rog. Um, you didn't expose your little knobbly knees. Seersucker suit, mate. I had a pink yeah, seersucker suit from Freeman's. <laughs> it was. It was. It was that. Uh, I mean, the fabric of a sex god. It was an extraordinary experience being in Pamplona. In some ways, we got more into the culture of the entire uh, festival than we did into the actual bull running and bullfighting, which I think both of us found somewhat horrific. Slash bull slaughter. Yes. Yeah. Um, Funny that. Funny how that works, isn't it? That we got yeah. more into the culture and the history and the, the tradition rather than the, you know, the bull slaughter. Yeah. And the food, the food, oh which is, 
you know, outside of San Sebastian, Pamplona has some of the finest restaurants in Christendom. I mean, that was that was amazing. I remember all of those things. It was honestly one of the most rewarding and exhausting experiences of my life. I mean, for eight days, we woke up at 4.30 in the morning to head down to the single most rickety broadcasting compound. I mean, every when we were broadcasting, it was always a surprise to me that our platform we were broadcasting on didn't fall into the balls as they ran past. But to this day, when I set up a wake-up on my iPhone, that kind of shrill bell noise, when I hear that, my first instinct when I wake up for a second is to think I'm back in Pamplona and have to meet Davo and charge towards the broadcast. <laughs> for me, the joy was twofold. I mean, mastering new skills, learning a whole new sport to talk about and learning the art of broadcasting live sports, which was new to us. I mean, that I loved, Dave. That I loved. And I'd love to do more. Love to do more. And the second was being in Spain with the Men in Blazers team. I, I revere that nation so much. We both love the land. We both love the, the traditions, the cuisine, the Rioja, especially the Rioja. But to have that opportunity to learn about the Spanish Civil War, which I'd never really understood and which still defines the country in ways spoken and mostly unspoken. Just the beauty of that nation. I took a train ride from Pamplona to Barcelona to meet my wife when we were done. And you know, you know I love a train ride. Oh, to cut through the Spanish countryside, the old towns, the fields, the human wonder with a bottle of Rio I'll say I've rarely been happier than on that couple of hour journey just the thought of it now makes me yearn for the day we can travel the globe again expand our minds and revel in the wonders of this off-limits world david oh yes rod memories final question from a gfop will nickerson who writes rod and davo i am one of the many who have had a wedding postponed due to covid19 the big day was supposed to be the 18th of April, I assume, but was postponed until August. In all the struggle and confusion of these times, I found the pod and chat shit get answered to be a source of comfort, hope and courage. So what would be the best advice in regards to marriage that you can give? Sincerely, Will, a Liverpool fan in Atlanta, marrying a Bayern fan. Well, first of all, congratulations, mate. I do raise my Jägermeister in toast to you and your bride-to-be, to to life, to love. He hasn't hasn't done it yet. To human connection. Well, he's, you know, it depends what it is, Dave. He's feeling things, and I want to raise a toast to feeling things because it can be shattering to approach a life milestone like this and have to postpone it. It can it can summon fears and doubts that shouldn't be there, and you're powerless to change them because of the old corona-rona. But what do you, Dave, what advice do you have for Will? Oh, that, that Liverpool buying thing, that is a complicated one. But what advice about marriage, mate? I have no advice. I am the last person in the world to give any advice about marriage. Uh, for those of you who know the brief history of my personal life, uh, would certainly assure. But I can tell you something about weddings. Just this gives you more time to figure out how to make the wedding the best day of your life. It's not the best day of anybody else's life. The person you're worried about, oh, they're going to be so upset if they're not invited. Or I've got to go and do this or I'm not going to keep up with another wedding that another friend of ours done had. This wedding is for you and your bride-to-be. It should be all planned around you two having the greatest night ever and getting great photographs of that night. Nothing else matters. If it's a Liverpool and a Bayern fan, then it means I need to get Philippe Coutinho to minister it. Yeah, while he's still there. Oh, But my, my thinking on the wedding itself, I talked about, to be candid, in a chat shit get answers, I think three episodes ago, that I actually think 
Marriages are built on founding myths. And the good news is you're going to draw strength from having a myth that's like, it's not a fairy tale myth. You didn't like get engaged by having a dozen white swans surprise your partner by swimming across a lake filled with dry ice. And those swans are pulling a large barge filled with red roses. And on that barge is Pavarotti and Pavarotti's carrying a ring towards you. Like to me, you don't want that kind of myth as the founding origin of any good relationship because... You know, your myth can't be perfect because relationships are not perfect. They're always imperfect. And your myth is going to be imperfect now with the cancelled wedding. It's going to be one of struggle, of having to support each other in time of challenge, which to me is what any good relationship is all about. In footballing terms, marriage isn't about the 5-2 dominant victories against your cross-city rivals. It's all about grinding out those 1-0 wins when you're playing badly. It's about supporting each other's in bad times, lifting each other. It's about empathy, patience, forgiveness. You know, partners, ultimately, they've got to be a bit James Milner. They've got to be a bit Hendo, more than they are your Neymars, your Ronaldos. It's hard, bloody work. It really is consistently, every day. So that would be my advice. Brace yourself. Commit to that hard work. That's what partnership is. Committing to think of someone before yourself, which is... We're almost not wired in a way to do that. It's the hardest thing to do. So I know this time is hard for you, Will. I can't even imagine, bruisingly so. But work out to consciously make memories of these times. Watch Killing Eve together. Drink that bottle of wine that you've always thought you were going to save for a rainy day. Put on your favourite song. Dance to it together every Friday night. Make memories now of these times. Because relationships forced in challenge. They're relationships that are ultimately built of Valerian steel. So, Will, courage. Big love to you. Yeah, in short, never marry a Ronaldinho. Unless you've got a good divorce lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Rog, instead of the bald mark, we're going to do something slightly different uh, this week. Inspired by that meme of President William Jefferson Clinton going around holding uh, albums. And by albums, we mean uh, records, Rog. We're going to list our four favourite albums of all time. Rog, what are your four? You should go first, David. I've got to give this one some thought. Four albums I can listen to every day without skipping a track. That's what you want for me. It's going to take a second. Go for it, Davo. To be honest, I had no idea we were going to do this until cold reading this section right here. But ironically, I have been, you know, out here in Bridgehampton. One of the reasons I'm so happy to get here is I've got an amazing um, turntable uh, set up. And I've got my beloved record collection out here. Oh. Mate. So this is pretty easy for me, except this changes. This isn't a fixed list. Your four favourite albums of all time changes depending on where you are right now. I must say, right now, my partner and I are going through, and this sounds ridiculous because it's the most famous band of all time, but we're going through a love affair again with the Beatles. And i got to tell you, two Beatles albums, Sgt. Pepper and Revolver, and actually I think the Revolver's even better than Sgt. Pepper, but Sgt. Pepper is mind-blowing. I think those might be themselves the two greatest albums of all time and they're by the same band. So those two, phenomenal. The recording techniques before the age of Pro Tools, just the songwriting, the performances, the variation, just the ordering of the tracks. The albums themselves are just so beautiful. The cover art, the lyrics, like every single part of them is so good. And then the two albums that I've consistently enjoyed for that have stood the test of time for years and years and years and years that I always go back to are Donny Hathaway's Everything Is Everything. That was his first studio album. Donny Hathaway, 
you know, a, had a, led a tragically um, short life. Born in Chicago, Roger, your beloved Chicago, but raised in St. Louis. One of the great songwriters and performers in the history of, of soul and R&B. His album, Everything Is Everything, is just phenomenal. Just the liner notes themselves are worthy of a Pulitzer. I love that album. And the album that you'll remember listening to as a teenager, and I always go back to again, and it reminds me so much of my youth, but I'd say it's Outlandos to More, the first Police album. Oh, great shout, mate. I listened to that record so much. Just the sound was so new. The power from those three uh, men, so phenomenal. At the same time, another three-piece band, The Jam, was superb, and I could have put any number of their albums on too. But Outlandos to More, put it on, crank up the volume, listen to that record. That record is phenomenal. Honorable mention also to Blondie's Parallel Lines, because I love that. But my four would be Sergeant Pepper, Revolver, Donny Hathaway's Everything Is Everything, and uh, Outlandus to More, the police's oh, first album. Mate, that opening three on Outlandus to More next to you, going into So Lonely, going into Roxanne, oh. may be one of the greatest threesomes since Bernard, Rich Arlison. <laughs> oh, and Theo that is outstanding outstanding shout mate huge huge respect I mean you can't really separate that from from Parallel Lines the Blondie album that was almost synonymous with that album at the same time but I don't know if you know this Dave but I'm actually we've not really talked about this writing a memoir about growing up oh really we've not, <laughs> we've not talked about that before <laughs> The pre-marketing phase of your book is pretty phenomenal. Oh, mate, I, I honestly don't know if any listeners have ever dug their way out of prison with a spoon, but I will say <laughs> the experience of writing a book feels like pretty much how I imagine that experience goes down. So I'm not sure this book is ever going to finish, but I am making heady progress. And part of the reason why is I'm listening and re-listening to a ton of albums I came of age to while I'm writing, ones that made me who I am. So... Like I am in this mindset right here, right now. So my four, it would be a five, honourable mention that you have given me permission to do. Beastie Boys, Licence to Will, no doubt that would be in there. That still sounds unbelievable to me in every single way, apart from the lyrics, which are fairly repulsive. So that one lies outside my top four. First would be Marvin Gaye's What's Going On, the single greatest album i believe that has ever been released just the lyrics the orchestration the concept the impact the timelessness when i want to think about the idea of love though because the marvin gay album is pretty dark and i think about love a lot particularly at this moment in time i go to van morrison's veden fleece which i just savor i think comfort you is it's actually the song i wanted to walk down the aisle to at my wedding but the dj got it cocked up played ferry across the mersey instead <laughs> furious still furious telling you that lou reed's new york oh what an album my last year of high school in liverpool that album was really the soundtrack to my finals my a-levels dave had that scratchy guitar the spiky drumming but it was really loose seething anger which just i was blown away by because it it's fury even surpassed my own and i love the fast songs i love any fast song where the singer gets so emotional or so angry either one that he or she can't give any more and they have to just let the guitars rock out to close the song. This album's full of them. To be clear, 17-year-old Rog had no idea of 97% of what Lou was singing about. And I actually met him when I moved here and told him that. I, I'd never been when I heard the album to New York. I just loved his energy. Um, I, he sings lines like, I'll take Manhattan in a garbage bag with Latin written on it, which says, it's hard to give a shit these days. 
And young Rog listened to that and was like, oh my God, I want to move there. Don't quite understand it, but I do understand it. The album's amazing. Final album, and I'm writing about it right now. The impact Tracy Chapman had on my life. I'm writing about it this afternoon. Her message, take control, assert yourself, do not be passive, fight to change everything. A play that was reinforced by the purity of her tone. That voice, which embodies tenacity in the face of suffering. That album, the debut album, remains my guide star. And one of my goals in this post-pandemic world, Davo, is to interview her. She's the one, well, there's two There's two celebrities I've wanted to get on Men in Blazers since we began, and neither of them will come on. One is Primo Levy, and he won't come on because he's dead. The other one, Tracy Chapman, and I'd love to sit down with her and just talk about that release track by track. So that, that album always will be my number one. I thought you were going to say Meryl Streep. Good to have Meryl Streep on here. By the way, speaking of, because who always reminds me of a of a Meryl Streep, sort of the closest thing we have to Meryl Streep in the Men in Blazers universe. Rebecca Lowe. No, Laura Linney, Rog, GFOP Laura Linney. Double L. I have been binge-watching Ozark over the last 10 days. Wow. Wow. How did I not watch this before? It is just... It's just extraordinary television, extraordinary writing, extraordinary directing, and just out of this world acting. It's a, it's a weird television show because the first couple of episodes are not that good. You've got to get through. It gets better and better and better and better, that show. Yeah, absolutely right. Oh, my God. It's just so, so good. And almost at the end of season three, just got one episode to go. It's not the greatest thing to watch before you go to sleep, I must say, because it's fairly dark. But my God, it's good. I've been just adoring every second. I've watched Unorthodox, which is which is pretty sobering, and then plunged right into Fowder 3. Mm. GFOPs will remember when we had Leo Raz come on the uh, podcast to talk about Fowder, which is just a remarkable sensation. At this point, Fowder 3 is just it's almost slapstick, hilarious kind of... Oh, kitsch of wonder, just a bald actor who has been plucked out of obscurity, the great Leo Raz, given budgets and just made himself the sex symbol that like people walk up to him and just all their clothes fall off instantly. He's on a motorbike. They will fire at me from all angles, but their bullets will not harm me and I will kill them. It's genuinely, it's almost become... It was a, the first season was a fascinating geopolitical exploration of the Middle East. By season three, it's still worth watching. It's still wonderful. But by accident, it's almost become like a midlife bald squat um, man's fantasy life of what he could be as an action hero. Both worth watching for equal reason. But this one is almost surreal about the ego and the id of a midlife bald Keep doing it for us, Leo Raz. I will watch you in anything, mate. Also, Rod, you'd enjoy this. One of my mates who's in the US Air Force Reserves and a commercial pilot also, he turned me on to this amazing Spitfire documentary that's on Netflix. I think it's just called Spitfire. That is just phenomenal. The history of that remarkable plane, the design of it, the conception of it, and its performance, and the way that that that, uh, machine changed, went through more than 20 marks, more than 20 versions that sort of kept its military career going, you know, long into the era of jet aircraft, jet propulsion. An absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal documentary. I'd say the birds save the nation. <laughs> God, I'm all over that. I will say, last thing, I have tapped in to anything 
from the Second World War, watching almost everything I can right now. I'm watching, I finished watching Band of Brothers and I'm watching Band of Brothers all over again. I cannot get enough of the tenacity, just the her- everyday heroism that is absolutely implicit in that. And the Battle of Britain is just a must-watch everything right now so i will be all over that Dave. as soon as we've podded rog you can follow us on twitter at men and blazers at embassy davis at rog bennett on instagram at men and blazers at embassy underscore davis on facebook men and blazers you can always send your ravens to the crap part of soho you can always email us at men and blazers at gmail.com vanderpunk rog war pig who wants to sex matumbo i like snacks balls win balls win take that gloria balls lose oh to tweed abrogado rock on mate kung fu fight in america oh Love you, Rog. Love you, David.